You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Um, sorry, folks. Just a minute. We'll get started. Right now, we're investigating dogs outside of Jackie's house. Yeah, so my apologies. There's um, always a chance that it's not my dog. That's the scary part. Kind of like not my cat. So Jackie has a cat that's not her cat that, that real dog. lives at her house, but it's not her cat. Um, by the way, that is Jackie Clayton. Yeah. Hi. Um, and that's Katie Van Horn. The one who has her life together. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So I say. <laughs> we can um, having your life together. I have time out. This is the but. Inclusive AF podcast. Thank oh, you yeah, so much that. for joining us. Uh, we are not recording on our normal day. It's actually uh, Tuesday. So a uh, little discombobulated this morning, but we promise we'll get it together. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my Any gosh. minute now. Just wait. Just wait. Um, all right. Speaking of which, what did you want to say? <laughs> well, it was really funny. So I was looking up um, an article, like we do, we try to do as one does, as one yes. does on the YouTubes. And I was watching this, this panel that I thought was just so interesting. And they were talking about recruiting diverse talent. And I was like, oh yeah, they're bringing up some really good points and graphs and whatever. And then I looked at the title and it was actually in curling, <laughs> it turns out. Spoiler alert, there's not a lot of people of color in curling. I have seen curling on the Olympics. I don't really understand it. Do you know like what curling really is? Like what the concept is? Yes. It's kind of like bocce ball. So you have the rings. Yes. And you have something, it's called a stone, right? Uh Yeah. And so you throw it, the, the, you have a one person throws the stone and the other person has the little like sweeper things uh-huh. to try to lead the path. And it, you're trying to get it as close to the target as possible, but when you can throw another stone and knock it out like bocce ball, like, so you can like knock somebody's ball out of the ring and you try to get yours in. So that's the whole sport back and forth with these. Yeah. It's shocking that they can recruit anyone to that sport. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Sorry, if you are a curling um, aficionado, we apologize in advance for that comment. I shouldn't say I apologize. I'm sure curling is fascinating. It is one of like the biggest sports ever. So I'll add it to the show notes. Um, Seriously, it's like support curlers of color. So this was a thing about diversity and curling, which kind of leads me to the next cool thing. They're actually starting to open at HBC, uh, HBCU in Tennessee. They're starting to offer hockey. So like there's a lot of things we talk about, like diversity and inclusion at work, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of diversity and inclusion and things that are helping to advance that in these different organizations. Was there a particular HBCU that was recruiting for hockey? Or was it just in Tennessee, hockey in Tennessee? Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would have thought it would be like Minnesota or Wisconsin or Michigan. Tennessee State. Tennessee State. There's a partnership between Tennessee State and the Nashville Predators. Predators. I'm just going to look up what is the name of the... Um, the NHL team in Tennessee. And is that a is good name Predators. for, a, for your yeah, freaking mascot? Um, <laughs> um, Predator? Okay, whatever. I'll give yeah, you a Predators. Okay, so we've got hockey going on. We've got curly going on. And we're talking about HBCUs. So do there we want to do some good news? Yeah, we got hockey and curling going on. What other good news is going on at the HBCUs, my friend? Money, 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 money. You're supposed to sing. Thank you. That's what I was expecting. I was there for you. I was totally there for you. Lots of cash getting thrown at HBCUs. Of course, does it is it gonna make up for everything? No, but we'll take we'll take the W. Um, a lot of HBCUs are getting a ton of cash. Um, as people know, I, my kids both go to HBCU. I'm come from an HBCU background. Um, but it's record breaking, like literally record breaking year for gifts to HBCUs. So we'll start with that. Cause that's great. 
and like everyone's getting into it. You have Oprah, you have yep. Oprah's best friend, Gail, you have, who else has given money recently? Cause I think, yeah, this year has been bananas. It's been amazing how many people have actually been making donations and, and creating scholarships and other things along those lines, just to however we can infuse more money and however we can support the HBCUs because as we know, historically, they haven't got a lot of state and federal money that maybe should have gone to them, which we're now seeing kind of some of the lawsuits that have been going on for years and years about this, um, getting some responses and getting some answers, which is good. So I know, so we Mackenzie have- Scott, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos's wife. ex-wife. Yes, yes. Ex-wife. Don't ex-wife. get that twisted. Beg your okay. pardon. So Do you think that every time she makes a donation like that, it just kind of gets like, gets him frustrated that he had to give her all the money. Do you think it's a, it, like, no, you don't think he cares? I don't think no. he cares. I think I feel worse for her that we oh, can't yeah. just let her be freaking Mackenzie Scott. Right. Right. So let's just not call her Jeff Bezos is anything. So let's start over. Mackenzie Scott, the wealthiest woman in the world. Major philanthropist, Mackenzie Scott. Yeah. Can we go yes. with that? Let's go with that. Okay. So she <laughs> gave more than half a billion with a B. Let me say that again for the people in the back. More than half a billion dollars to more than a dozen HBCUs, which is so important, right? And to North Carolina A&T, which in my estimation, is the number one HBCU if you're looking for diverse Black software engineers, majority come, if you're looking at HBCUs, North Carolina A&T is the place to go, $45 million. That's amazing. So I'm going to ask a question. Yep. Um, and I'm going to help answer it too. Isn't that great? Um, I love that. I love that. <laughs> HBCUs. Can we talk about just kind of like the history of like, why do we have HBCUs? Um, and just a little bit about why they were created? Yes. And I, I'm glad that you asked, because we have to do that because our education system does not teach black history. That's a different episode when we're back to bad news, but we're sticking with good news. <laughs> so yeah, I think, well, okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. I think I am very, very happy it's kind of, so I went to a, um, for my junior and senior year, I went to an all girls high school. Now we did have some classes that were mixed with the, the boys that were kind of across the parking lot at the boys high school. Um, but like, I, I know that they've done so much research around, you know, when women and men are separated for certain subjects, for certain things, they have a better time. And there's been also a, a ton of, uh, research done on just university campuses and how, even when, there is diversity in the population. They still, um, like the whites stick with the whites, the blacks stick, stick with the blacks, the Asians stick with the Asians. And, and that's not a general or stereotype. Like that is just like what they have found is they've done research around all of these different topics. And this is one of them that you can um, create an environment where you have diversity, but unless that inclusion is there, then that's you right. do miss out. And well, so- Well, and I think it has to do with safety. Exactly. Exactly. And so from the HBU, HBCU perspective, I think it was an imperative to create and have those spaces and have those schools. So there was safety and there wasn't like, oh, hey, you have to be the lesser than or whatever. Um, you can be yourself and you can just do the work, which is what you know we want kids to be able to do when they're in college is just succeed and kick butt. But here's the other thing. So I find this fascinating. My kids go to Houston Tillotson and the Wait a minute. history of Houston or Austin. It's in Austin. <laughs> I'm just going to keep asking that every, every single time. time. I know. And I'm just going to fall for it every time because that's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what was interesting about the school, they have a huge Methodist um, background, um, but what was interesting is that people don't like the reason the history is so important. People literally don't know that it was against the law for blacks to get an education. It was against the law for black people to learn to read. Right. Which is like, when you think about it, you're like, what? So 
Uh, my kids go to Houston, Tillotson in Austin, <laughs> and it was actually started in the Methodist church basement. And they still have Houston Tillotson Day like every year. And you can walk from the, the campus where it is now to the organization. So, I mean, a lot of these, it was out of necessity. Even when um, people had the right to an education, there was segregation. And so you had to build your own schools or else you weren't going to get an education. And I think it's, I mean, it's, people are funny because they act like this is something that just happened today, but it didn't. And we have these organizations um, where that's why it's the H is for historically. There are some schools today that have uh, the demographic is predominantly white. However, the school was created as a historically black college or university. And what happens is people stop giving them the designation, but it still counts because mm -hmm. it's it's a historically it's not something that's like a law. Um, but I find it fascinating that people don't realize that. Number two, the thing that's important for people to realize, especially as they're gaining money, is that because these institutions were created when, I, you know, when Blacks weren't able to get a, an education or through se segregation, these are all private universities, so they don't get state funding. Mm -hmm. I don't think people recognize that today. So what's interesting in Texas, where my kids go, it's literally across the highway from UT. Now keep this in mind, friends and folks and family. Across the street, if your family's um, income is less than $60,000 a year, they will pay for your education to go to UT. That doesn't happen at Houston Tillotson University. It's across the highway. And they own all this land. So there's this historic case. You have to look it up. Historic case, Thurgood Marshall, you know, black lawyer went in, did um, fought for this case for this land and property. The building that he did that from is a sorority house that's owned by a University of Texas within walking distance of the historic black university and college. Like, I think when my daughter found that out, she wanted to like throw rocks. Like these sorority girls were coming out of this building and they were like, they have no idea the historical significance of that building. And the state gives money for, for people, local students to go to this other organization. And there is no financial support for the HBCU. That's literally across the highway. And it's a choice. However, it's nice to know for me as a parent, I feel good to know that my kids can focus on getting an education and be treated as worthy as, as opposed to some of the things that you see in the reports on how black people are treated. I mean, you, you don't even, I mean, it's, it's, if you don't know, it's a Google, you can Google it. Um, but it was just nice, like when I think Hannah's first semester and she was like, like nobody wanted to touch my hair. Like it's the first time in her life that somebody didn't want to own her or ask her rude, stupid questions. And so that part didn't get in the way of her education. She was able to get an education without the stupidness that, that is the public school system. No offense. <laughs> Don't at me, bro. Well, no, I want to go into that just a bit because I think this is like, that's a perfect example. And obviously we had a conversation last week, um, which will be live before this one is live with Ashton around, you know, going to an HBCU and how that was, you know, a, a different experience. And I think that's the type of stuff, those microaggressions, those things that happen that, again, seem like no big deal. Or for the person doing it, they're like, what? What's the, I was just asking her, you know, I was just curious, or I was just whatever. And for the person, it sticks with them. And it is something that like, it's not going to derail their entire education, but it is going to be something that's going to be like in the back of their head as they're doing their homework or as they're going about their day or whatever. And so to have that eliminated, they can truly just focus right. and not have to worry about dumb things like that happening. Like that's amazing. And that's great that like that actually is 
available to folks. But the other part of that is exactly what you said. So I know we're post-racism, according yes. to And pandemic, turns out. And pandemic. So yeah. everything's fine now again. Everything's fine. We can all yeah. go back to our work day. Um, but what I, I wonder if people recognize is like what you just said is happening today where you can get a scholarship right. at the state school, PWI predominantly yeah. white institution across white the highway. Institution. Thank yeah. you. No problem. Um, actually that's, you know what I, I'll have to come in a minute, but then you can't get a free education at that. Nope historically black institution. So that's a new one, HBI right. actually. Yeah. I, I did just read that yesterday or the day before, as I was kind of looking at some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's fascinating. It's truly is fascinating. Just the things that people go, yeah, there's not a problem. Yeah. That's not an issue. And you're like, but yeah, it's still happening today. And here's the other thing. So in Austin specifically, people who are not familiar with Texas, Austin, because of it's featured on TV shows and because of the restaurants and all the stuff, you know, there's a lot of corporations there. People around the world think that because it's a liberal place, that it's also a diverse place. Mm-hmm. And it is not. Everybody needs to know that Houston is not diverse. The area that they were given and the area and the section on the on east in East Austin, that's where the uh, historically where the black people live. It's like across from the cemetery. They own all this land. They gave it to them because it was not desirable. It was on the same side as the colored cemetery and the is colored housing. All of that was on this side of the street. Well, what do you think about today? It is like the trendiest place with the cute little coffee shops and all of the pieces. And the new president of the organization is like, you are not getting this land. There's a lot of land. And financially, like, I don't think people recognize this with HBCUs. If you lose, like these are organizations, institutions that have been around since the 1800s. Once you lose that, that's like all you have because black people were not given land at mm-hmm. all, Yeah, right? They weren't being, a, weren't given the benefits of owning land and then passing that down generationally. It's almost completely unheard of. And if you do, it's in an undesirable place. And some people have had to sell just to make money to take care of their families. And so I watched the president um, talk about it. And, and she was like in tears because, because for the students, it's great. For the presidents of these organizations, the weight of the world is on their shoulders to make the money and get this right and support students and get them to graduate. Students that... I'm, I've never in my privileged life, right? I go to the first opening days of the organization of the institution. And there are literally people who came like from foster care on a bus to go, this is their new family. Mm-hmm. These are the people that are supporting them through this whole thing. And they're not getting state funding. Like your taxes are gonna go to freaking UT. It's not going to go. So if you're doing your, you know, as you give money, if you want to do something, it's not just like you're literally saving lives by -hmm. giving money to HBCUs and giving people the empowerment that they did not get in the public school system, period. Mm -hmm. Just did it. And an opportunity to learn about their history. There were so many things that, you know, I think one thing that I've noticed with all students, if they've never, they go from, from whatever school they are, I'm in Texas, so I'm a little bit biased, but go to school and then go to an HBCU, come out like, oh my God, I love black people. It's like all of these things that you did not learn and were able to have as a a source of pride outside of what you just see in the media Mm -hmm. that facilitates those things. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. 
If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Yeah, I, I think it goes to the the education. I mean, that's a whole another conversation for another day too of the education systems that you know most of us or quite a few of us grew up in that whitewashed history in such a way. Um, so I think you already read this book, I believe, but I am I'm still in it. So just forgive me. Um, it's the uh, oh, we talked about this book. Which one? Mediocre. Yeah, I didn't. I have not finished it. Okay. Well, I, I'm like in the middle of it right now. And it's such like, well, I, I was thinking as I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, I, there's so many people I would love to give this book to, but then there is the, yeah, most of the folks that I would consider giving this to would be like, no, thank you. I'm all set. Um, mm-hmm. because there is absolutely this, like, um, I won't say that they're like negative negatively speaking about the white men in the world, but they're talking truth. And so there is this it's fact it's like, don't, it's yes. not negative. This is just right. data. What exactly. You know and so, but I, but again, knowing just how people get very sensitive uh-huh. to any type of condemnation of, you know, things that may or may not have occurred in history and their mind, but you're like, no, that actually did happen. This is just data. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I was thinking, yeah, there's so many people I would love to give this book to because it's fascinating and there's so much good data in there. And yet I know a lot of people are going to go, yeah, because they're going to read the first chapter and be like, oh, this is like a hate white people book. And it's so not, it is a, here's history. Yeah. Here's what actually happened in these different places. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's a great book. And again, we'll put a link in the, the show notes for the book. Um, I explained to everyone, listen, I was like, read it on a good day with a glass of wine, right. one chapter at a time, give yourself, because you will have some heavy gasps. Oh, yes. <laughs> one, because you're like, oh my God, like this is really happening. And then the other one, like, oh, this is happening. It's like at the same time. Right. Well, I, just the comments that you were just making about universities and, you know, institutions around Texas and like how they're funded or not funded, I guarantee people are going to go, what? There's no way that's possible. And I think that's also with this book. There are moments that you're like, really? Like that really right. happened or that's really happening right now. Right and so, now. yeah, I think it is one of those, it is not a, Hey, run right through the book. It is definitely a read a chapter and then kind of think about that chapter and go, huh? okay, this is good information to have. And this is how I'll move forward with it. And so I think there's also like, that's what I I hope, you know, as we're having some of these conversations that there are those aha moments for folks similar to in this book where you go, I had no idea. And not just, I had no idea. Thanks for the info, but I had no idea. And here's what I'm going to go do about it. Like, what's the action? I'm going to go give money to an HBCU or I'm going to understand the legislation around that or, or how, you know, who's trying to fix that, that kind of thing. Like you said, you know, you have the, the deans and the folks that are running these universities and institutions that are like, yeah, we're trying to fight this. We're trying to fix this and have been for 20 years or a hundred years or however many years. Um, that's why I think some of the lawsuits that are happening right now that we're getting conclusions. I mean, again, you're mentioning, you know, the billion dollars for, um, that was given away by, <laughs> tell me your name, ex Mrs. Bezos. <laughs> Dang, Mackenzie Scott. I was thinking Madison and I was like, I know that's wrong, but I, yeah. <laughs> so I ran out of creamer today. Haven't had a lot of coffee. So there's that. Um, well, and then like, but you also see these things coming up that are like, oh yeah, this university or this, you know, the this HBCU is now being awarded this, that, and the other thing. And you're like, oh, wowzers. Okay. Like that's amazing. And it's millions of dollars, but then there's also the piece. And this is just me because I am a little bit of a um, disbeliever on some things. So, you know, they had four Maryland HBCUs were awarded $577 million in this discrimination case. 
because yeah. they were not getting the same funding that the white colleges, if you will, they're, you know, this other yeah. state schools were, it's, were it's a, I call them PWIs. It makes it easier. I think it makes sense to call them a predominantly okay. white institution. Predominantly white institutions. So yeah. like this, they had this discrimination case going for 15 years to say, you're not giving us the same funding and that's not okay. And so they're being awarded $577 million. And I just wonder like, Hey, how long is that going to be tied up in fighting, you know, back and forth about, you know, is that the right number? Should we actually get this? You know, how far is it going to go up the food chain? All of these different things. And then you also go 577 million, like what in the world were you doing that you racked up $577 million in debt to these schools that you were, you were so focused on discriminating against them that this is what you decided to do. And so now you're paying for it literally, but why, like, why, why is why children getting educated, children learning, children, and I'm calling them children at this point, they're adults when they go into university or institutions like this. But why would we not want an educated society, period? Like, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, it's the, you know, cutting off our nose to spite our face things that you're like, it's just dumb. Why would we do this? It's because of this. Tell me, Whoa. Jackie, I need from, to know. From mediocre the dangerous legacy of white male America. It, there's a quote and it says, and yet we have as a society somehow convinced ourselves that we should be led by incompetent assholes. That's why. That is a, a good statement. It is like the incompetence and the <laughs> it's, willing to let incompetence be that's right. the norm. We've let it be okay. And that's what people don't recognize that we slowly have been awoken to and it's everyone because it is systemic and we teach people how to be even when you look at the me too movement at the very beginning of the me too movement there were so many people that were like oh yeah that happened to me and that wasn't right was it right i mean and some people fell apart mm -hmm. but there are other people that were like oh that happened that just happens you right. know they didn't mean it because you normalize it i talk about the habitualization habitualization and a presentation i'm doing this week about how your brain especially the complex things if you do things over and over again your brain has to be able to normalize situations to give you room to learn more things or if you had to feel everything on a given day. And I think that's why people aren't in protest every day at every market during every situation, because otherwise people would just die of having a heart attack. Like if we looked at all the things like me eating this Whataburger, the thing, if I had to look at all the things that made this possible, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to survive as a people. Our brains do that. So we look at this and say, as long as it's not happening to me or I have a way around it or I can take it, I'm okay, or they'll be okay, or all of these cliches and things that we do to ourselves, we, we find a way to normalize it. We try to rationalize and normalize things that are not rational or normal. No. And I, I think it's, I mean, I think we all can relate to this in one way. And obviously this is a very short time period, but what has happened during COVID where the stress level, the, all of the things that you're processing and you're dealing with and the constant trauma, you're it, all of yes. us, I think we saw, and we've seen such a vocalization around mental health and we need to focus on mental health for our employees. And it's again, white people going, this is really hard and we need to figure it out. And so now it's actually getting attention versus the trauma that we have inflicted on marginalized groups historically and today, like that trauma that I feel as a white person through COVID is stuff that is happening to people of color since birth. Yeah. And so, and like, and that's like, I, this is not a, Hey, I know what it's like in any way, shape or form, but it's like, that is like just the stress and trauma. I cannot imagine dealing with this just on a, a, like you're saying, like just, oh, this is just the way things are. Well, I just, I just think it's funny in talking about that, a lot of, uh, if you looked at the table when we're having these conversations, 
a lot of black people were looking at all of these white people going, y'all didn't know that. Right. <laughs> like, and people were like, why does the police, you're like, wait, wait, wait. Y'all just learning that. Y'all right. didn't know that's and then when you explain to people, yeah, policing was invented to catch runaway slaves. Mm -hmm. Period. And they've been trying to catch slaves ever since. Right. Still to this day, it's that mentality that's been passed generation and generation and generation if left unchecked mm -hmm. and left to go. So that's why when you're like, that's why people say things like, oh, can't you just follow the rules? I bet you it was somebody bad. It was an armed black man was killed, not a human in any shape or form like right. all of the big scary but and people literally don't recognize and like to me hbcus are places where it's like can i just get a break yeah for a minute right can my blackness not be seen to a threat to you so that i can get an education please for a just a hot minute please. right because the and real world's gonna come Right. I was going to say, and I think there is, there's such goodness there, but it also is like, as a white person, I'm sitting here going, yeah, how cool would that be to experience that as a white person to go and, and just be the person that is underrepresented and be the minority in that type and, and whatever type of setting I'm, you know, using HBCUs, but I always have that, you know, with, with men with white people of like the cut or their circumstances where we could put them into a situation where they were the only, mm -hmm. or they were the minority or the in token. the conversation or the token or whatever it might be. And I think there's such a need for that to actually understand it, it is the, Hey, you have to experience it to believe it almost. But then there's also like no, your people are telling you they have a video, they have facts, they have data, they have all of this stuff. Why are you not able to believe this? So like, there's just so the thing that people don't get in the United States is that that was taken away from your people at Plymouth Rock. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> that was, and, and there isn't an uprising there. Like I'm right. still waiting. I'm not waiting for some like big revolt. I'm just waiting for people to take their culture mm -hmm. back right it's just it's it's baffling to me it's always baffling to me but, but it's I, like but i also think so this and i don't remember what conversation we were having and it might have been the one with ashton just around like when you go into chicago or new york or some of these larger cities you do see san francisco you do see spaces for different ethnicities and different groups. Like you have Chinatown, you have the, um, Italy, little Italy, you mm -hmm. have some of those spaces where it is pretty predominantly, whatever your ethnic group or race is, is in that space. Yeah. And so it is also, there's like this, that is amazing that we have those spaces, but how cool would it be if we could have those kind of all over, but you do see some of it, like I'm going to, stick with Chicago for a moment where you do have that kind of almost line in the road of that's where those people live. And that's where those people live and never the two shall meet. And so it's just a, it's, you want to have that, um, experience. It's kind of like traveling to other countries. And yeah. I just was listening. I, you know, I listened to that, the murder podcast, my favorite murder. <laughs> yeah. And there was an episode last uh, yesterday that I was listening to that was about this white guy that had gone to like Ecuador or maybe it was Peru. I think it was Peru. And basically like started taking like mind altering drugs that these natives used in spiritual ceremonies. And, you know, this was part of their culture. And he was also bipolar and had other mental issues. And so he started taking these things and it like, he went off the edge and actually ended up murdering someone who was one of the um, grandmas of the town, who was one of the like um, medicine women or the equivalent of a medicine woman. And so he killed her and then he was killed um, by the townspeople. And, and you have these situations where it's the, I always 
when I am traveling with different people, it's always fascinating to me. Like you go to countries that maybe you meet someone that doesn't speak English and there's always the like, oh crap, okay, what am I going to do? But then you go to these countries and you meet people and they're like, oh yeah, I know four languages, no big deal. And you're like, yeah, we do not have that interest as a country. And we do not have that like experience where pretty much everywhere you go, people know multiple languages. And that's just part of growing up in wherever they are. And there's also this, like as an American, you know, it's, we always get the dumb American when you're traveling abroad. And it's because of the fact that we expect folks to speak English, know our customs, all of these different things. And so there is just that, like, how do we, and I know I'm going way off topic by talking about this, <laughs> sorry, but it's like, Where are like we? how do we respect and, and include folks that are different than we are? Yeah. And then also how do we just realize and celebrate that versus going, they're different and they're wrong. I, I, it's a choice at right. some point. And that's why people need to recognize that it is a choice. Right. Because a lot of times that isn't taken, people aren't given that choice. Right. Like this is your box. And so stay in it. The end. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago was, I forget what it's called, but there was like a, a day for, it's like Faye Day. It was like hashtag Faye Day for like black people to celebrate being like cosplay and anime and fairies, like all over Twitter, like this hashtag, okay. same type of thing where that is not something that you see traditionally in the black community. And it's like a day for that. And I was like, looking at all these pictures and it was like these people dressed up beautiful, you know, even though I'm, I am one that's not into that. My family is into that kind of stuff, but it's like being able to be yourself, mm -hmm. but also learning how to be yourself because you learn something from other cultures. Right. Right. Like I think I think that it's a, a point where I, I would wish for everyone to be able to embrace themselves, be confident enough in yourself that you can understand another culture without feeling some kind of way. I mean, I, I will never forget. I was in Panama City, Panama, and we were at a conference and most of the signs were in English and Spanish. And then there was a change and we had been there for a week. It was like a 10 day conference. There was a change. And this person from the United States delegation started going off because she didn't recognize the change. The bus was at a different place. And I was like, the sign's right there. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but it's in Spanish. And I was like, look where you are. So read it. Like right. you, you couldn't find one person who could read this to you in the right. whole place. Or there's and, this thing called Google Translate. I don't know if yeah. you've heard of it. Our, and context clues. Like if there was a sign that had something taped on it, you might want to find out what that means. What that means. And we were so embarrassed and she was yelling about it. Like, why? It's not fair that the signs write in English too. Like get over yourself because we're literally in this other country that this mm -hmm. English is not the native language. Like what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I'll tell you my Vietnam story. So I went to Vietnam a few years ago and I may have even told you this one before, but we were in Vietnam and of course there are no context clues on that language <laughs> nope. in, re in regards to English. Like I, it was literally like, I have zero idea what they're saying, <laughs> you what they're look talking about. I got nothing. No, no. Yeah. And, and so we would, you know, be in these different situations where like, we're not quite sure what they said. And so my friend Vanessa and I know enough Spanish. She actually is bilingual. So I should give her credit because she absolutely does know Spanish very well. I am, I know enough to be dangerous. And so I'll pick up, you know, different words and whatnot and kind of have an idea of what we're talking about. But we were in these situations and our brains kept switching to Spanish, thinking that's the language we know <laughs> that's different than English. And then we'd like say something in Spanish and then be like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. That won't work either. Sorry, folks. You know, like in Europe, you can sometimes get away with that because like in Spain, you can, again, somewhat converse in Spanish. And, you know, there's obviously some different, um, just different words and different things, but you can say cerveza and get a beer and <laughs> you're good. Um, anyhow. So but I do think it's interesting. That's the difference of holding on to your culture. I mean, in fairness to us here in the United States, like 
It's not like living in France and going across the street to a whole mm-hmm. different language. Right. Like, I, I, as, okay, please don't judge me. But like, when I went to Spain a few years ago, and I was like, because of, I am, you know, in America, the ultimate colonizer story, I'm looking at Portugal, and I'm like, wait, Portugal is in Spain? And they were like, Portugal's in Portugal. I was like, but how did they get away with that for so long? Like, we didn't just keep, like, wasn't there like a word? They're like, yeah. I was like, damn, where was that army? Because you just took out a chunk and I'm like, and you speak your own language. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Because that like would never happen here. No, but I think it's also, you start to, you go to these places and start to hear like their story of what happened. Like, so it's yeah. like our interpretation of the war for independence. When you go to the UK, they're like, fully. no, that's yeah. not what happened. <laughs> Yeah, and totally. yeah, and going back to Vietnam, like <laughs> we went to the Coochie Tunnels where the Viet Cong lived and were attacking soldiers, and it was one of those moments of like, oh my goodness gracious, like the story we have heard and grew up on, and I guess we have known, and there was you know obviously the Vietnam War was highly protested, and it wasn't a great situation across the board. But you do have an interpretation from our American history books. Team, correct. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) Amen. Well-funded marketing team, exactly. Um, But being there and actually like seeing, no, we should not have been there, and no, we should not have been involved with this, and no, you know, all of these different things. But then also, you know, this is where I am weird and like to do some of these things. Sitting there and also um, standing in a jungle in Vietnam. And thinking about being an 18 year old standing in that jungle. And we've all seen, you know, some mm-hmm. of the movies that are very rough mm-hmm. about the Vietnam uh, war, but then there's, you're standing there and it's literally jungle and you can't see 10 feet in front of you. And I, at, like at one point I was standing there and I actually took a couple of videos like in the jungle to share with folks when I came home, because it was like dead silence, even though we knew there were people around in other parts of this place where we were going and, you know, we were doing like tours and stuff and it was dead silence taking these videos. And it was just like, how freaking scary must this have been for oh. these folks who were over here? Um, and I, and, but again, the story, when you hear from them and, and read some of the history, you're like, Oh yeah, we have a very different version of that story. Yeah, no, and that's self, not. Yeah, that's if not. You exactly. go to other countries. P.S. It didn't happen that way. Like just right. like we talk the way we talk about things right now. We we talk so much about like Black history isn't being taught. Really, it's like none of the history. So like when you go to a different place, be go with an open mind and a willingness to learn because you're going to get a message that is very different than right. the way you were educated. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Right. And we have to start passing those messages down because that's why, well, now again, this is getting way off the royals, but it's like <laughs> when you talk about the education and how they literally are like, oh, if you teach this, it's anti-American, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, no, this is the truth. Right. That's what people don't understand. Like we're trying, what do they call it? It's that phrase, critical race theory. Critical race theory. Yes. So people are like, oh, it makes you hate America. No, it just shows you for what you are as a country right. and how you really got here because that's why we think we're so awesome and why that girl got all upset because the sign was not in English because right. that is her right and privilege and we realize that we're really not all that awesome like right. the way that it, we are like you know 
our listeners and us in particular, but we are as a people. However, it's not, it's something that we, you know, we've worked on the way we got here. That's not what made us awesome. It's our individuality and the things that we're able to bring and the lessons that we've learned. But how do you pride yourself on sharing misinformation? And that's why I love that by going, I'm going right around the corner so we can get right back on track. Watch this. Thank you. Good. So go. when we get the history going to an HBCU or going, if you can't go to an HBCU, take the time to learn the culture of different groups and mm -hmm. get educated in a pure sense and, and get as many resources because I think there's always a little morphing in all of the things when you look right. through history. Um, but try to get as many points of view. That's why a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, there's a book, the history of the world books or history of America. It's written from four different perspectives. There's one that's written by black women. There's one that's written from the LGBTQ community. And it's like the history of America through various lenses. They all tell very different stories. Mm -hmm. um, it's fascinating, but it's a, a long, long read. So, but, but I think that's also it. Like that is the, you know, the critical race theory conversation, which I just think is so silly. We have been taught again, since birth as Americans that we're number one and we're the best. And we can't possibly have made mistakes at any point in time because we're the best. We're right. number one. We're the best. We're number one. And so it's also this like the complete lack of empathy or actual intelligence to be like, no, we've made mistakes. And here's what they are. And hopefully we're doing better now. I think part of the whole critical race theory thing is that, mm, unfortunately, things haven't changed as much as we like to profess that they have. So when you start looking into, you know, some of these learnings, you're Sorry. like, whoopsies. Um, yeah, um, we're still doing that thing that we did in 1778 or whenever it was, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's those whole conversations. But, yeah, bringing it back to the HBCUs, best news. Uh, Mrs. Claire Huxtable as the yes. Dean of Fine Arts at Howard University. So Felicia Rashad, you know, just that she was named the, the Dean at Howard. How freaking cool, or Dean of Fine Arts, I should say, at Howard. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Like how cool for those students to be able to just experience someone who has had such a career. And I mean, and you think, like I'm saying, you know, Mrs. Claire Huxtable, you know, from <laughs> the Huxtables, but like, I think they're, or the Cosby show, sorry. And, but the whole concept there that, you know, that was one role that she's had. But if you look at her, you know, the history of all that she has done from mm -hmm. television, movies, Broadway, all of these, like, it's just, she has an amazing career. So how cool for those students. So Miss Jackie. Ma'am. I know we went kind of all over the place today. So um, this will be fun to write up as what are we talking about <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Please excuse us in advance. We're, we've got a lot going on. So we like to talk about a lot of different things. Um, what is your one thing from this episode that you want to make sure folks take away? I want my you to sum it thing. up in one thing. The well, end. Yeah. My one thing is America was not discovered. Can that be the one thing? <laughs> Can we just start with that? Can we meet let's in the middle there. people? Yeah. Let's start there. Um, discovered it colonialism before. is real. Um, <laughs> the end. Um, so. my, okay. So two things. And my other thing is I think it's important to please support HBCUs, right. you know, in any amount, there is an all women's HBCU that almost fell to pieces. Um, I almost closed down completely because they had lack of financing and there was a big campaign. Um, but look at, this is not, it's an organization that I feel like until we get all this race stuff, right. We need to be supportive of, you know, predominantly Hispanic serving institutions, HBCUs, you know, women's organizations as a matter of safety so that people from whatever generational trauma has been passed down, give people a safe place to be able to learn that they might not be feeling in the public education system. So please support um, local private colleges with those special interests so that we can keep those around as a matter of safety, if nothing else. Love it. And I would say mine is, 
you know, we talked a little bit about all of the donations and all of the scholarships that have been set, set up this year and last year at HBCUs. And I think that the piece probably, you know, folks might be going, oh, well, they just got all this money from all these famous people, so they should be good now. But yeah, looking no. at the, again, the historical imbalance of these schools, give often, give as much as you can, all of these things. Like, and, and it was, you know, you sharing that story about the two schools, you know, right across the, the, the road from each other, basically, and, you know, how one is allowed to give scholarships to kids that are in state, you know, and they can go to college for free and the other one, not so much. And what's like, that is eye-opening to, to me. Like I, I did not know that. And it's also just that like, we need to challenge and learn and continue to listen. Um, so that's my, that was not one thing. That was a couple things, but I love that. It's, I don't think it's ever been one thing. Katie, I, know, I just want to be you know, honest. I'm trying. I know you're trying to. We're all trying here. Next um, time. Maybe next, next time. time. Next time we'll totally get it all <laughs> right. It'll be perfect. And thanks um, to I all of our never, listeners. They're yeah. our favorites. Um, so we have a challenge for all of you listeners, and we're going to keep talking about this for a little bit because uh, we want to hear your diversity stories. And what we mean by that are, you know, in the workplace wherever it is, if you've had challenges, if you had questions, if you've had things come up that you want to share with us, um, we would love to share your stories. And so if you want to shoot us a note at info at inclusiveafpodcast.com, we would love to hear them. We would love to answer any questions you might have from any of our episodes. Um, or if you know you want to start a new conversation, we would love to do that too. So please check us out info at inclusiveafpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And, um, Jackie, you need to say the stuff about the reviews. Cause I always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave us a review review like us. and subscribe um, only if it's a five and it's a very positive review though, to be clear again, we yeah, want to make sure no, not just, a five. Can you let us know? Yeah, let us know via email um, and we'll try to fix it before you leave your real review. No, just kidding. Please do review us. Please do. Well, uh, you know, and if you like it. Like, if you like it, it'll help get it to more people by yes. liking and adding a review. We'll help get it in front of more people. And so we're very appreciative to that. So that being said, I'm Jackie Clayton. And this is Katie Van Horn. Did I do it right that time? <laughs> I like it. Okay. And this is the Inclusive <laughs> AF Podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.